Welcome and greetings, career-minded superstars. You are listening to the exclusive Career Coach, your podcast for all things career. And I'm Lisa Edwards, the indispensable career coach for superstars just like you. Now let's dig into this week's topic, shall we? Go from dragging yourself to work each day to finding a job you love. The Career Spring program is for high-achieving and ambitious mid-level professionals like you who are looking for a job that uses your zone of genius, recognizes your value, and pays you what you're worth. If you're ready to learn more, schedule a complimentary consult using the link to my calendar in the show notes. Be sure to follow me on Exclusive Career Coaching on Facebook, Lisa Edwards on LinkedIn, and Lisa.Edwards on Instagram. Greetings. Happy July, y'all. I can't believe it's the middle of July. It is not the middle of July today as we are recording, but when this comes out, it will be. So I'm going to act all excited about July right now. I have a guest today, and we're going to talk about leadership. As I've told you folks before, I get a lot of requests to be on the podcast, many really a day. And most of them, they're just not a good fit for you guys. I'm very protective of who I bring on and who I have share their wisdom to make sure that it's the right kind of wisdom for for this podcast. And when I saw this this topic of matching your leadership style to the right organization, I think it really resonated with me, especially because I had just gotten done listening to a podcast series with, it was about HP, and they talked about the Carly Fiorina era and made reference to some of the other, you know, CEOs and companies. And it's fascinating to me how someone can be a great leader in one organization and fail miserably in another organization. I'm thinking particularly of a of a football coach right now who tried his hand at pro and failed miserably and was a great success as a, a college football coach and went to the pros and was was quite quite awful actually. And so I think that it's fascinating that there are these this match that needs to happen between the type of leadership that you present, the type of leader that you are, and what the company needs and what's going on in the company and 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 that kind of thing. So I want to tease that out a little bit today with my guest Robert Jordan. So Robert, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks so much, Lisa. It's an honor to be with you. I'm so excited to talk with you today. Well, why don't you start by telling the folks about yourself and your companies, how you got here, what's up with you? I'm your classic entrepreneur, which is to say, had been involved in in many different businesses. Some of them didn't do so well. Some did unbelievably well. And the thing I'm, I, I've been engaged in for many years is a company called Interim Execs. We're a matchmaker. Organizations from around the world call us, and we make a match with C-level leaders, CEOs, CFOs. And really, it was in the course of doing that work over so many years, we spotted these patterns. The first pattern was that the majority of leaders showing up, their careers were kind of just so-so. They weren't that great. Then the opposite was that among this subset of leaders who were fantastic, who we came to call RED team, RED stands for Rapid Executive Deployment, we saw that these incredibly successful leaders had these four different leadership styles that differentiated themselves. That's what motivated us to 
write the book, right leader, right time. So you've identified these four leadership styles. Did they come out of your own observations? Was this adapted from reading that you were doing? Tell me about that. It's a great question. It, it came out of both for myself and my co-author, Olivia Wagner, it came out of both our successes and our failures. I had been involved for so many years personally in this role of this weird job title of being an interim CEO. And there were some things in which I was great, but there was a vast majority of, of things coming my way that I so was not the right person to go in. And I happened to get lucky, which is that we had all these domain names and all of these leaders kind of started showing up on our doorstep. And I realized there were so many great people out there who were good at things I was not good at that it was far better for me to kind of get out of the way. So I know we're going to dive into this, but there was one, there is one particular leadership style we describe in the book. The four styles are fixer, artist, builder, strategist, or fabs for short. And I completely identi identified with the artist style and very much not with fixer, builder, or strategist. So do tell us about these four styles. Sure. Fixer is the person who loves running into the burning building. The, the thing we mean with fixer as leader is they want to keep doing it over and over again. When a fixer solves problems with a division, a team, a client, once everything is running again or even better than before, that person needs to move to the next major challenge. Mm -hmm. And to put that leader into something which is somewhat steady state will bore them beyond belief. I have a story about that, Robert. I have a client that I've worked with for more than a decade, and she came to me at one point in her career. She was she was absolutely a fixer, but I called her Mary Poppins because she would go into, she worked in a very large company that you would know well, if I mentioned the name of it, and she would go into departments, functions, and within this large company that were failing by all metrics. Morale was terrible. Production was terrible. Every metric. And a couple years later, they were 180 degree difference. And when she came to me, it was because she was bored because she'd stayed too long in one department. And once we identified that, she was able to go have that conversation and have the right vocabulary for her boss, who immediately recognized exactly what she was saying. And they got her out of there, got her into another department. And she's been much happier ever since because she can articulate that and recognize it. And, and know when it's time to move on. Exactly. Yeah, you're, you're describing it exactly. And, you know, the way I would say there's a difference in utility here, Lisa, because you are, you're the full embodiment of empowering that leader to move to a better role, better situation. And we're trying to provide some utility for the book to help the individual but also to cause a conversation within a team to figure out more about each person's particular spikiness. Mm -hmm. Spikiness is a word a psychologist. We interviewed a lot of people for the book. And one of the psychologists we interviewed, he used this word we loved, spikiness, to describe if you were looking at on a graph an individual skills and abilities and traits, what they bring to the team. Mm -hmm. For each person in the team, you don't have to be spiky in everything. But you do have to have spikiness. 
you have to have this contribution in a particular unique way. That was the fixer, right? Yes. Okay, so what's next? Fixer, artist is the person who views the world as their canvas or as a piece of clay to be molded. This is the person who is, they just can't help thinking up new ideas. There are standout examples. Some ways I don't like using Elon Musk or Steve Jobs or Thomas Edison because they're so obvious. And they also don't necessarily represent what most artists are. Most artists, you know, the person who is the creative renegade on your team, who's great at thinking up messaging, who's able to make the product or service design leap, that's artist style thinking. Hmm. Is there a particular, with the artist in, in, in particular, I'm thinking there may be some industries that are better or lesser suited in general to an artist leader. Do you find that to be true or is it very individualized? It's a great insight. And in, in, in the it, it used to be, I think, that there are some things where we say, you know, it's less innovative in this space. So many industries have been disrupted. Who could have predicted 20 years ago that driving a taxi cab <laughs> would get disrupted? And yet it has. You know, thank you, Uber and Lyft. Driving a truck, pretty straightforward proposition. Sooner or later, especially because of a shortage of truckers, you're going to see automation and robotics come into play, especially for long-haul routes. And so now it's very hard to think of any industry where creativity is not being applied, in some cases, to creating a radical shift. Excellent. Oh, that's that's fascinating. All right. So we've got those two. What's next? Builder. Builder is the person who has market domination on the brain. And that can be world domination in the sense of like an Uber that, that says, well, you know, they started in San Francisco, they hit critical mass, and then it's let's go conquer the world city by city. But it could also be something local. I was just in Boston a week or two ago, and there is a local bakery there that has a number of locations. And it is, Lisa, it's the greatest bakery on earth. <laughs> I don't know that they're ever planning to come to my home city of Chicago, but they're wonderful. And there's a builder at the heart. It's called the Tate Bakery. And there's a builder at the heart of it because it's not only delicious and wonderful, but they clearly have this sense of how they own Boston. Okay. So that's yeah. builder. The fourth style is strategist. Strategist is the leader at scale. Strategist is the person who is capable of advancing a team that is 1,000, that is 10,000, that's 100,000 people, where it is completely beyond personal span of control. Your own personal relationship is not going to advance that organization. You have to be able to drive. One of the leaders we interviewed in the book at 14,000 employees in an insurance company, he said, you have to understand how to drive the middle of the organization. He said, the people at the top end, you don't need to do any coaching. They're, they're going to so far exceed. He said, the people who are really lagging at the bottom, there's also something obvious that's going to happen there over time. He said, there's a vast middle to these organizations that are incredibly complex and at scale. And that is where the strategist excels. This 
is fascinating. So, okay, so first of all, I've identified I'm definitely a builder. And when I when I came to the first university, so my background is in higher education. And around 1990, I went into the career center. Well, it wasn't the career center. It was Counseling and Placement Center at Columbus State University. And so I was under, you know, I was... <laughs> I was in I was the person that helped folks find a job but I was in the office where people who were losing themselves and and having emotional breakdowns and needing psychological help were coming in so you can imagine how well that worked. So I had a group of professionals come in and do an assessment and they said yes you need to separate this out so I became the director of the career center that hadn't existed and built that into, you know, as much as I could for a basically a commuter college, bored out of my mind for the last, I tend to have an attention span of seven years, but I stay 10 years. And so I then went to Truman State University and by every metric, it was under, it was underutilized, under, underwhelming in every respect. And I'll never forget my boss looked me in the eye when he, when he hired me and he said, Lisa, if you can turn this career center on this campus into a show piece, you will have worked a miracle. And when he left to take a president's job at another university, he looked me in the face. He said, you worked the miracle, Lisa. And we were then, we became a feature in all of the admissions publications and touted in all the ways that Truman was a great university. And I was so bored towards the end because I had I had done what I set out to do. I tend to stay a couple years longer than I'm supposed to, Robert. So I think that's fascinating. I'm I'm putting you on the spot here, but can you think of an example, a leadership example out there in the world that we would perhaps know about where you saw a really good fit? And then I'm going to ask you about a bad fit as well. So can you think of one off the top of your head where there was a really good fit between the leader and what the company needed at that time? Sure. And in the book, we, we go through Many examples of of good fit and also of of uh, of complete blowups <laughs> and disasters and and some of these are are more name brand and some are not. So, for example, one of the the fixer examples we cite in the book are Twinkies and Ho Hos. I, I don't know that I've ever actually had a full Twinkie. Have you ever eaten a Twinkie? I avoid those things. Do you want to admit, admit to it? Okay. No. So, so you know they. As a as a bakery and organization, it, it had I think at one point over ten thousand workers, a dozen bakeries. You know, I'm convinced a Twinkie. You, you know, they put it in the landfill; they'll find it in five hundred years. Right, exactly. Um, well, they went bankrupt, but people still eat Twinkies and Ho Hos, and they were brought out of bankruptcy and they went bankrupt again. Well, the third time around, a new organization, a new fixer, a guy named Dean Metropolis, showed up, and the third time was the charm. And they bought completely new equipment. They created a state-of-the-art bakery. They turn out more product than ever before. And so, yay, Twinkies and Ho-Hos stay <laughs> in the world. And it's a great example. It's kind of a cute example, whether you like them or not, that when the right leader showed up in the right situation, it was something magic. Now, mm-hmm. I'll give you a flip side for a fixer, okay? Because in a lot of cases, you have a bad reputation, and deservedly so. There was a guy named Al Dunlap, and he got a nickname, Chainsaw Al. He was brought into an organization called Sunbeam. They used to make 
mixers. Mm-hmm. And he had this playbook, which was basically, you know, he just fired half of the people or more. It was just a, I mean, it was just decimating. There was no art or subtlety to what he did. And eventually, in, in one of his roles, it was determined that there was, you know, the books had been cooked and it all failed for him. But he, he earned his nickname of Chainsaw. Was he a fixer? He's, he's absolutely the definition, but he was not the highest definition of it. He, he was more that any given style can run amok. And so he, he was the company needed a fixer. They just needed a more evolved fixer than him. Yes. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So let's let's bring this back around to to the listeners and I and because I work in the in the job search space specifically my podcast covers a lot more than that but my practice is in job transition. And so for the listeners out there who aspire to a new leadership role what are some things they can do to increase the chance that they match up with what the company needs in terms of leadership style? Sure. It's the key question, Lisa. And I'm (laughs) going to put this as plainly as I can. Do not attempt to be all things to all people. Right. Do not attempt to be the Swiss army knife. That model went out in business years ago, and it's a corpse that no one yet recognizes. If I gave you a parallel to another industry, this gets so clear for people, okay? Lisa, you and I are now friends. And if you told me one day, gosh, I got this pain in my foot and it won't go away, I would say to you, I know a great podiatrist. Mm -hmm. Or does your internist have someone to refer you to? I would absolutely not tell you, you know, Lisa, I know a great OBGYN. And (laughs) they're terrific with feet. It's not going to happen. And so medicine has evolved. And now I think it's over 200 specialties. But there's no responsible OBGYN out there that if you described your situation would say, oh, sure, I'm happy to take care of your foot. They won't do it. First thing they're going to say is it's not me. Mm -hmm. And and hopefully they're going to say, I really know a great podiatrist because I had the same problem. Whatever. I'll give you another example. If you've got this brilliant idea for a patent, don't ask me to refer a litigator to you, okay? It's just, it's unnecessary and it would be viewed as unprofessional. And yet in business, this broad category of organization, we assume that because somebody did one thing well or one role well, that it must apply to everything else. And it's categorically not true. And so what you see among many people who are struggling is this attempt to cover too much ground Mm -hmm. because, frankly, they're a little desperate. Mm -hmm. And it does not help them. And conversely, when you look at this minority, you know, Gallup organization says 90% of leaders are in the wrong roles. If you just look at this minority of leaders, what we call fabs leaders, fixers, artists, builders, strategists, who are in effective roles, one of the things they do really well is to reject what is not for their highest and best use. Mm. It is easy to say and incredibly hard to do because it means you have to turn down things that you may feel you need, but they're absolutely not you. Do you find that 
most companies and most recruiters have their finger on this pulse or are they missing the boat in terms of what their what the organization needs? I was just talking to a senior executive of HR at a company and and describe we were talking about all of this and he was saying to me how he thinks so many of his colleagues missed this. What I would say is that what we hope we've done is to add to the tool set that we have added to the conversation that can occur to help teams become more effective, to, to see the authenticity you've used in your podcast. You know, I, you are very much about authenticity yourself, Lisa. And so we very much want to help people get to their authentic selves and for them to be recognized at work by their teams, their clients, for what they're truly good at. So the listeners can certainly read up on the company, do their homework, look at not just I I sort of I don't I don't tell my clients not to look at the company website, but I tell them to take it for what it's worth because it's propagandized. But look at what the what the trade papers are saying, look at what people are saying on Glassdoor about the company. Are there specific questions that the listeners can ask of either a third-party recruiter or a representative of the company? to get at these things that we're talking about, these this leadership style match? We had not read or seen anything about our particular framework here, here at looking at leadership. Much of the world is still an undifferentiated thing. I think it's a fair question for your listeners, for folks who are seeking greater success in career and, and maybe in transition, to be exploring this with recruiters which is what efforts have the recruiter and the company made in terms of looking at fit. And fit is an obvious thing in the sense of, you know, are they the right industry? Are they at the right level? But there's much more subtlety that's going on now. There's so much more nuance. It's easy, like, you know, we were joking before about medicine, right? That you Mm -hmm. want to match with the condition. And yet in business, we don't pay any attention to that. So the so to directly answer your question, it really depends on what the situation is. It's like we get asked all the time, you know, what's great advice for leaders? Well, my answer now is that completely depends on whether that leader is wired primarily as fixer, artist, builder, or strategist, because they each look at the world in a completely different way. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to get this picture of if I'm the candidate, I want to ask the recruiter what what are the problems? What are the challenges that the company is facing right now? What are the biggest issues? And if I'm a fixer and I'm hearing, you know, we're at the top of our game, everything's amazing, I'm not, probably not hearing the right words for me. If I'm a strategist, it sounds like I don't want to be necessarily working for a, a small mom and pop sort of organization that isn't looking to grow. So I think I, if I can really understand my leadership style, I think that's going to inform the questions that I want to ask because I now understand what makes me tick and what motivates me and what, what energizes me. You're right on the money. And it, it, this reminds me, one of the leaders we quoted in the book, and, and he really prompted years ago us thinking about this this way. He owns a bunch of companies and he said, you know, if I put a fixer into one of my businesses and it's not broken, he'll break it. Just so <laughs> <I can do> it. <laughs> Yes. 
And I'm not wired primarily as a fixer. I thought that was a little bit insulting, but we started asking, we did did lots of interviews for the book, and we started asking people who were clearly dominant wiring as fixer. We started quoting them that line. I thought everyone would be upset, like, how dare you? No one took it as an insult. All that the fixers said, they said, well, sure, why not? Maybe it needs to be broken. This is great. And I'm thinking, Robert, I, I am a master practitioner of the Myers-Briggs type indicator, the personality inventory. And I'm thinking about the personality implications of these people, because the strategist is al- almost always going to be intuitive dominant. I'm, I'm sorry, the, the, the one that you are, the artist, is going to be intuitive dominant. It's all about ideas and possibilities. And, and I, call, I call people who are intuitive dominant, I call them ideas on legs, like they can think them up faster than we can write them down. And so knowing your personality type, I think there's a real play here with your personality or your leadership styles, rather. I completely agree with you. And and the, the way we put it with artists, just to focus on that for a moment, is it is to the artist peril. It really is. I mean, I I I, I sympathize and I, I feel for the artist because people that just are great at idea generation, it can be at the peril of their career, money, power, status, everything. Sometimes it lines up perfectly, but even an example like Elon Musk. At the top of the world, in terms of ability to create and design, he still has an ability to continually shoot himself in the foot. Uh, <laughs> you know, and it, it, it's not that it kills him, but it's not optimal. Mm-hmm. And even he, he was deposed in a trial about 18 months ago. And on the stand, when he was being deposed, he said, he said, I really don't enjoy the CEO role. He said, I would much rather just spend all my time in engineering and product design tinkering i think also i i hope that the listeners are hearing a subtext here which is there's also a time for you to leave based on your leadership style and as i alluded to earlier i i always outlived my expiration date by three to four years which was not great because if you were to graph out my performance it definitely slacked off towards the end because there was nothing else to build given the constraints of what whatever was going on at the university, my budget, my staffing, whatever it was, I had kind of done what I set out to do and builders just can't be in that situation. So I think knowing, I think this can help you really inform when is it time for me to start looking elsewhere? Yes, and the modern world is completely built that way or trending that way. You know, you look at, for example, Reid Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn, and early on, they were telling employees at LinkedIn, look, you know, for most of you, we know this is not going to be your lifelong employer. And, you know, we'll view it much more as a tour of duty and we're going to have a great time together and, and work to maximize your career. But we understand it's really probably not here. And you just think about how different that was my father-in-law was was at one company as a, mm-hmm. he ended up pretty much as a CFO, but he was there 35 years. And he would look at at me kind of like I was some exotic animal or from another planet. <laughs> but but now, you know, you think of you, you know, or or for your your kids, you know, having anyone uh, millennial on down, you just know that everyone is going to go through a number of iterations 
not just an employer, but probably on, on what their career is going to be. And that's perfectly fine. There's, this is the way the world is, and the world is now wired to, to make that possible and for someone to have a wonderful career doing it that way. I used to tell my college students that I thought linear careers were boring, right? So, you know, you be you major in accounting. Guess what? You become an accountant. And then after three or four years, you become, oh, I don't know, let's go crazy and become a senior accountant. And then you supervise accountants. And then you, I don't know... <laughs> Do something else with accounting, but it's very linear. And I think the career paths that it sounds like you've had and, and I've had are much more interesting. And there's this sense of I've done well with that. And that's always the attitude I had. I did well with that. Now let's go see what else there is out there. I can always come back. I've got a safety net, but I don't really want to use it right now. I want to see what else there is. Lisa, I love how you use the word interesting. It's like the Chinese curse. May you live in interesting times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we've, we've had interesting careers. I, I get that. But it's, it, it, it is the way that we are wired. One of my daughters is is clearly wired the same way. And and she's just out of college. And I, I say, look, you know, if you went to dental school, I get it. The, the path would be so clear what your job is going to be. But for the rest of us, for most people, it's just there's going to be an exploration going on. I used to tell them, when you get a bachelor's degree, I want you to go date a career. I want you to break up after a couple of years and go date another career. If you get a master's degree, you're kind of getting engaged, so it's a little bit more serious. You may want to, you know, try to work it out a little bit longer. And if you get a PhD or a, some sort of terminal degree, medical degree, juris doctorate, you you kind of get married, but people get divorced every day. So that was kind of my way of, and it seemed to resonate with them. They're like, oh, okay, I don't have to be, I could be unfaithful to my career. I'm all about the infidelity to my career. So let's go and let's have some fun. Yeah, it's a great way of, of looking at things because it's just this is this is just the way the world is wired now is for folks to have journeys. One of the examples we we use in the book that I love is the movie industry. Shirley MacLaine, we quoted her because she describes making a movie as this like mini civilization. You you have hundreds of professionals coming together from all these different aspects of expertise. The actors, the producers, all of the people involved in the technical aspects of making a movie. When that movie is done, when, when they're done with the production, they disband and reband. They they will form again for the next movie, but it's going to be a different combination. Mm -hmm. And it completely works. And it does not mean someone cannot have an incredibly successful career. It's just a different form of thing. The thing the thing you take and you hold as your asset is the expertise that you have in these experiences. That's becoming the same across a lot of work. I love that. I love that. So do you have any final words in terms of our listeners who are leaders, aspire to be in leadership roles? Any other takeaways you want to offer them as we wrap this up? We touched on it before, Lisa. It is easy to say and hard to do, which is to reject that, which is not for mm -hmm. your highest. But even just taking a start at that in terms of the selectivity you have in what you are looking at will stand you well. And it's, it's hard to do. It takes a lot of courage when you think, I need this paycheck. It's just 
the best people out there, the people that, that have continued success, what is behind that is not only that there have been failures, but that there is a lot of rejection going on. Healthy, mm-hmm. not, not yes. unhealthy to, to get it the right thing. And, and I think the modern age rewards that because there's so much opportunity out there. Yes, I, I, Robert, I talk a lot to my clients about coming at their job search from a place of abundance where they think I'm fantastic. A fantastic company is going to see how fantastic I am and they're going to want me and I'm going to be fantastic there. And if a company doesn't recognize my my genius, that's not where I want to work. I don't want to be there. And it's a mutual thing. We don't want each other. We're not a good fit for each other. But coming at it from that place means that then when you're in that interview room or you're having that phone conversation with a recruiter, you are in the right energy as opposed to that graspy, needy, please hire me, I'm so desperate energy that doesn't suit you at all. You're 100% right. And, and what that powers is the is the flip side of it, which is which is knowing where you are not a, not best applied that when you do feel that the right thing has come along, boy, are you going to be eager. Boy, are you going to be energetic for it. And it's going to come across every which way, even through Zoom calls, which is this feeling of I'm for you. This mm-hmm. is the thing I was meant to do. And, yes. and they're going to feel that from you. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, this has been fantastic, Robert. My mind is just going in about a hundred different directions, thinking about all of the applications of this and and examples of companies where I've seen, you know, missteps in this regard as well as very good fits. How can the listeners find you and get in touch with you? Thank you, Lisa. It's been a pleasure to be with you. The website that describes leadership styles and all of this is called rightleader.com to spell out right leader. And the other thing that is being launched in time for, for our conversation is a leadership assessment tool. It's called FAB's Leadership Assessment. FAB stands for Fixer Artist Builder Strategist. And it is free for someone to take. And that will be at rightleader.com. Excellent. Well, you guys check that out. Grab that. I know that I will. And give yourself the assessment and keep that in mind as you go forward and think about what are the questions that I want to ask of the recruiter, of the hiring manager, perhaps of other employees in the company, maybe people I'm connected to in my network via LinkedIn, to find the answers to the questions so that I make sure that I'm going into the right fit where I can give the most, I can receive the most in terms of satisfaction of job, I can perform at my highest and best level. I think that's really the the bottom line here is everybody wins when we have this really strong match. So I hope you guys have gotten some food for thought from this, and I'll see you next week. Thank you so much again, Robert. Thank you, Lisa. I'm honored. Y'all take care. Bye. You've been listening to the Exclusive Career Coach with Lisa Edwards, CEO of Exclusive Career Coaching. It would be great if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Also, I want to be your career coach, so be sure to ask questions about your career management challenges and job search situation. Until next time.